Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. You're hosted by Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and this is a really special episode today because it's an episode between this podcast, The Great Women in Compliance, and Great Women in Fraud. So my guest today is Kelly Paxton, who is pretty much, in my mind, the great woman of fraud. And um, along with that, she's a certified fraud examiner, a private investigator, a professional speaker, and obviously the founder of that podcast. She's also the expert on pink collar crime um, and regularly talks about and is a leader in the areas of ethics and decision making. So, Kelly, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited for us to talk about great women in dot, dot, dot. And thank you so much for being here. Um, And can you tell us about your background? Well, first off, thank you, because you and Mary kind of changed my world. I mean, truly, Mary had me on Great Women in Compliance, and then one day I was out running, and I heard sort of your origin story of how you came up with Great Women in Compliance, and I was like, wait, Great Women in Fraud, this is just so, so perfect. So, you know, I had wanted to do a podcast for a while, and it just didn't hit with me, and then you guys came along. And it hit with me. So my huge, huge gratitude to both you and Mary Shirley for doing this because you guys put me over the top and I thank you for that. But um, I am the pink collar crime lady, which means I'm also the fraud hashtag queen and hashtag it's position, not gender. Pink collar crime is low to medium level employees, comma, primarily women, comma, who steal from the workplace. Now, people think it's women who commit any type of crime. I am an EEO crime person and women just are really, really good at embezzlement. So that's kind of my passion. So, yeah, that makes sense. Embezzlement, particularly, why do you think women, and I'm going to just ask that before I say a little more, that's so interesting. Why do you think embezzlement is the pink collar body, the key pink collar crime? So, um, Because the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that 90% of all bookkeeping positions are women, held by women. And you know what? They know every dollar that goes into a business, every dollar that goes out of the business. And just because someone's in a lower level position is not an indication of IQ. And unfortunately, a lot of people that are higher in the org chart just assume, "Ah, you know, she's not so smart or, you know, I don't need to worry about her. The other thing is... There is no honesty chromosome. Women don't have it. That's It's kind of ridiculous to even think that. But people underestimate women. That's another one of my hashtags. It's actually two now because I have hashtag never underestimate a woman. And then my newest hashtag is never underestimate Gladys. And that comes from uh, Michael Lewis's Against uh, the Rules podcast. They did an episode about um, six levels down. And that's Gladys. They gave her an avatar, name of Gladys, who's in the basement. She knows all. She's not treated with respect and she can blow everything up tomorrow. Interesting. Many, many years ago to date, to date myself, one of the executive assistants years ago, same, same kind of thing was, and also had had a relationship with the very senior partner she worked with for many years. And he was a 
very established, very smart, also very trusting throughout the chain of command guy. Well, one day she was gone, as was a fair amount of his personal money, as well as some other things because of that tremendous amount of trust. So that version of Gladys. And I remember, you know, hearing about it and just thinking about that woman. You, you never, you know, that was very early in my career. It was my, like right after college thinking, wow, this woman has quite a different life going on than I would have thought, mostly because I didn't actually think she was a criminal. Um, but so it's fascinating. Well, that's- that's the thing is, I was a special agent with U.S. Customs um, back in the 90s, and I arrested your typical bad guys. And we say bad guys. We don't say bad women. We right. say bad guys. We don't say bad chicks. We have this idea of crime and criminals in our mind that we see someone scary and we cross the street. These women, primarily women who commit this crime, they look like you and me, Lisa. They look like us. Um, you know, they live in our neighborhood. They're not the Bernie Madoffs. They're not the, you know, Elizabeth Holmes. They live amongst us. And like you said, this woman, she knew everything about the boss. And she probably was maybe spurned or something like that. And you have the fraud triangle, which is opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. The easiest part to control for is opportunity. We can't control someone's rationalization. We rationalize crazy stuff all day long to ourselves. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Um, and just to be clear, the, the people that actually look like us, we don't have clones out there. We're, we're very against that. If you see Kelly or I, we are avoid, one of the qualifications of being a great woman in compliance or in fraud is to not to be compliant and not commit fraud. Um, yes. Ours not that high, but that is given. Um, and one thing, and just because this is a crossover episode, I'm just going to mention for those who um, are speak, you know, listen to Great Women in Fraud more, just a little bit about me. Um, I'm Lisa Fine, and I'm one of the co-hosts, as as, as Kelly mentioned, with Mary Shirley. Um, my principal real-life job is as a, a senior counsel and director of compliance at Pearson, which is a large education technology program. So in that world, I work a lot in you know, anti-bribery, anti-corruption, code. I, I've been responsible for a lot of investigations. Um, and then, as, as Kelly also alluded to, Mary and I started this podcast a few years ago. Um, it, it's something when we thought that there were, you know, there were a lot of other podcasts out there that men were leading in our field and really... Um, there are so many women in this field that we really wanted to spotlight and focus them. And I think that that's a, you know, a great extension for what, you, what you're doing as well. So it is, um, you know, and, and for us, it's also just become like such a passion project. So that's my, but I do have a, a full-time job where I actually, you know, pra- try to practice what I preach um, and what I work on, but it's a wonderful sense of community. Um, and uh with that, let me just ask you, how do you define a great woman in fraud? Um, I'm going to say mentors, mentors and um, thought leaders and lifelong learners for sure. Because fraud, even though fraud is the same, it's still changing. Like uh, there are people out there that are experts in open source intelligence. There are people out there, experts in data analytics, and you just need to keep learning. And reaching out, I get so many people who reach out and say, hey, I want to do what you do. Or, you know, where can I go to get some great training? And what's a resource? Um, I just had someone on a podcast a couple weeks ago say, where do you have this time to get to consume podcasts, to read books? And I was like, this is my job. My job is to learn constantly and to distill the learning. And you know what? I think that's a big part 
that I like compliance. I worked with compliance a bit when I was at Nike. And the thing about investigations, it's whack-a-mole. You take one off at a time. Mm-hmm. But with compliance, you are trying to be a bit more proactive and you're teaching groups of people to be able to, you know, maybe stop it before it starts. And I say, I love auditors. Same thing. Unfortunately, or not, I don't know if it's unfortunate or not. I'm an investigator at heart, but I love teaching because I can teach larger groups of people. From an investigation standpoint, I think it's a you know, something that's really important and it's important in in organizations to do correctly, whether it's for fraud. And I think if you're going to talk about being a great women in investigations, you know, you really also have to think about that from both of those standpoints. You have to be a learner. You have to take your bias away. You have to be a, you know, you also have to be willing to learn good facts, bad facts. You don't have to, you have to remember the facts are facts. And we also have to remember that how we behave as, and I think this is, these are two things that are important to me. How we have an external presence in what we're doing makes a very big difference in how people view ethics and compliance and, you know, anti-fraud. Are you approachable? Are you willing to explain? Are you willing to, you know, so people will learn, um, you know, because there are things that can be gray. It's not like this is always the easiest thing. The second thing I think is really important, and whenever people use the term thought leader, I think it's important to be a thought leader. I also think that almost everybody is a thought leader in one area or another. And I think when it comes to women, we sometimes forget that. It's kind of like you think you need to be the biggest expert in some big topic. It's like what you're talking about, about Gladys. People are forgetting that Gladys is essentially the expert on a lot of things in the in the organization, including how to get around policies if done wrong. If Gladys's opportunity is taken away and, you know, there's, val- there's value to her and she feels good about what she's doing, doesn't mean she won't know how to do it, but she might be less likely to think, you know, the, the motive is less if you're part of the, you know, and, and you're listened to and respected, you're taking away some of the other things. So those are a couple of things that I really think are, are important and particularly in our fields. Um, people aren't always excited, I say, to see the compliance person. I can imagine you have a similar experience as a fraud investigator. I worked at a large corporation and there were just it was a story going around on campus, like, oh, they're ex-CIA and FBI, and they're really, really scary. And it's like, that wasn't the image that I wanted to portray. Some of the group wanted to portray that, but it wasn't the image I wanted to portray. You know, we learn all the time, you get more with honey than vinegar. And I'm writing a chapter on empathy and investigations, and I truly believe it. I also think that In order to gain empathy, you have to have a lot of diverse experiences in your life. And as I've aged, um, you get more diverse experiences. I will say when I was a younger investigator, I didn't understand a lot of what people were going through. And that's why, you know, I fell to the, oh, well, I'm chasing bad guys. Not that I'm that nice woman who lives down the street from me. She just ripped off her kid's school to $400,000. It wouldn't have crossed my mind. One of the things I was thinking about was in my early career at a law firm, and I remember doing document reviews, and I remember seeing things, and you'd think, how could these companies get into this mess? It was very smug earlier on in my career, like, this is a huge disaster. How could this? As I got into investigations or as I was working in-house and trying to give advice to people in the business and seeing disagreements and seeing other things... And I, I had to call law firms. It was a good moment of karma for me because I now was like, 
I see. I'm the person that I used to think, you know, how could they let this happen? And then sometimes you'll be working on something. You'll think, okay, I'm trying to do this, this, and this. And I just, I find that part an absolute, um, you know, the fascinating thing now. And as, as you get more in that experience, I also think empathy is really important, particularly for the people who are giving you the information. I, I tell to people all the time, it takes courage to speak up. And especially if you're the person who isn't, um, you know, you're just getting called in to talk about something that you may not want to have been a part of. And you're, you, you're the other person down the street who doesn't do anything wrong, but wants to stay out of everyone's business. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And in, you know, compliance, um, another one of my hashtags is whistleblowers are heroes. And I truly believe if we don't have a culture where people feel that they can come forward, even if it's anonymously, it, it just doesn't end well. It absolutely does not end well. People notice. All of a sudden they see when someone gets disappeared or they see that someone gets promoted out of a position and they just kind of wonder like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's why I work by myself now. Is <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my hardest challenges, I've talked about this before too, is that when you have a whistleblower who's absolutely right on what the issue is, but is absolutely wrong on who is responsible, And that to me is such a hard situation because they've gone through so much to get to that point, but nothing you're going to say, including if the other person they think is responsible was actually also potentially somebody who raised similar concerns. It's very hard. And I think it's something I think about a lot, but I guess back to the topic that we've been talking about, and we've talked a lot of parallels, um, you know, do you think that what we're talking about are general qualities for success, for success for women or, you know, in our fields? Because I think a lot about is what do we do is unique to gender, profession, um, or neither or both? So I think that um, a lot of times women are less intimidating. Again, it goes to the never underestimate. It doesn't mean never underestimate a woman in committing a crime, but never underestimate a woman that's sitting on the opposite side of the table. And, um, you know, I I have seen investigations where the men are just going to say, she's just not smart enough to figure this out. And it's like, so we can use that, whether you call it, you know, um, women's wiles or whatever, we can use it to the benefit of the investigation. Um, I, I I really believe that. Um, I just think we're more approachable. I, I, I think we are more approachable. Um, I did an investigation once, and um, it was a very high-level investigation. And they said that, you know, no, you're too low on the totem pole to interview this person. Did it go well just because they gave it to the higher level to do the interview? No. But you know, they underestimated me. Meanwhile, the people interviewing this perpetrator, they're texting like, okay, he said this, what do I say now? It's like, so this idea of status in a corporation, give it up. (laughs) I'm just going to say like, there are some times, but really utilize your skills and your ability to prove yourself. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. I think the opposite can be the case. I think if you are underestimated, sometimes they'll decide to tell you more because they think, oh, you know, she may not you know, understand or, you know, I've had plenty of people, I'm sure many of our listeners or people will say, especially in compliance, so like you don't understand this aspect of the business that whatever issue you're talking about is causing problem, you know, slowing us down. You're stop, you know, you're you're stopping progress, all of these things that you know you would really want or hope. You know, and then it's kind of, well, that may be true, but here are the things that I'm concerned about. And you talk and you can connect on it. And then sometimes people will get very comfortable and just tell you everything they ever thought went wrong for better or worse. Um, and that is also a plus. That can be a very positive, positive thing. Um, I think that we all really can, you know, learn and from that too. I, I also think there are times where you also have to decide who's the best person to do something. And there are times where if people keep avoiding me, I'll get somebody more senior to me for those who do care about it. I don't think it, ma- it matters as much. And they'll generally say, could you just email Lisa back? <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is that like, you know, compliance investigations, we're considered to be cost centers. And I take issue with that. I don't know. What do you think about that, Lisa? I use the term revenue protector. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I, when somebody says you're a cost center, I'm like, I prefer the term revenue protector. And oh, I, I also like often will say to people, look, I would like you to be able to do all of these things. If they would, you know, it, it, the company makes more money, that, that helps all of us. What I don't want is for either our reputation to, you know, take a hit for us to do something that obviously first and foremost is not right. And, and that's going to come back to you. And I have given you the advice. I mean, and so I really like the term revenue protector and focusing it to I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm protecting the money you make and I am telling you the best approaches and ultimately too. And I, if you disagree with this, I mean, you, you can, um, you know, but you also have to own the consequences of decisions like that, including, you know, the, you you know, I'll, I'll escalate it to make sure that if, if you're going to take this particular risk, because there are risks that, you know, I may think are too high and somebody else may choose to do, but they have to accept the consequence. I'm not talking about something illegal. It's not like it's up for debate if you're going to, you know, carry a bag of money to a meeting. Um, but, you know, from a business standpoint, there are many different decisions people make. So that's my take on it. I, the whole cost center thing, um, I find, you know, to be kind of a bit of a tiresome thing because they don't seem to feel that's quite that way about benefits um, or any other things that cost them money because they see that as benefit, you know, or healthcare or other things. So that's my, my take on it. Although I understand where they're coming from sometimes. I, I try to understand it and empathize because those folks have a lot on their plates as well. But I, I just remind them I'm protecting what they're making. Well, and one position I had, I brought back in 10 times my salary one year, 10 times. Yeah. So, you know... <laughs> That, I mean, that's the best argument of all, like, you know, the, the cost center. And, you know, it goes along with the never waste a good crisis. When something does go wrong, and inevitably it will, um, anyone who's never had anything go wrong, either you're a genius or no one's talking to you. Um, but yeah. I think that that's really important, too. Um, what about, I mean, do you think that you mentioned the cost center point? Do you think that some of what we need to do is unique to us in these kinds of fields of compliance or, you know, ethical decision-making, anti-fraud, anti-corruption, or do you think that they also transcend into, you know, some of the more traditional cost center or, you know, exciting things like, you know, we're talking about the business, the sales or like IT or the tech world? 
everyone loves fraud. I have a new presentation called Fraud and Pop Culture, and it's about Hollywood makes a ton of money off of fraud stories. And um, everyone loves it, but we also have optimism bias, and we think it'll never happen to us. And unfortunately, it does happen to us. So as much as I live and love fraud, not everyone, I'm going to say salespeople don't think that fraud happens. Don't, you know, it doesn't excite them kind of like it excites us. My goal is to make it relatable to them. And this is where like behavioral economics and behavioral science, I think really come into this. And in the compliance space, you have amazing, amazing people, including you and Mary that are going out and making it relatable and understandable and not have something like, oh, that wouldn't happen here. And when you just go in and you explain how it can happen and how humans are irrational. I have this new presentation, uh, Fraud and Pop Culture. Hollywood loves fraud, but Hollywood loves to make money. So they're not going to just love fraud and not make money. The thing is, is we have optimism bias. And this comes from behavioral science, behavioral economics. We don't think bad things will happen to us because we're good people. Um, we think it'll happen to someone else. And it's so important, I think, in our jobs to have people understand that people are not rational. If everyone were rational, like economics wants us to think we are rational, we would save for our retirement. Um, we would never steal. But would we steal? Because really, what if you see that, to that the C-suite is stealing? Why wouldn't you steal if they're stealing? I mean, so there's so much that goes into it that I think our job is to make people understand it's unfortunately happening all around us by not just bad guys. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the def definition of bad guy is highly, you know, and, and we do say we, we say bad guys, but we also say good guys. So yeah. I think I actually recently said in something I was working on saying we should talk about the good ones. Let's be gender. Maybe, and, and, it's, and you made me think today we can make the bad ones also bad people. Yeah. Uh, so I think one other point that I wanted to, you and I have talked about too, but and we're talking about barriers generally in these fields. What do you think about, um, you know, the needing a law degree versus non-lawyers? I'm, I'm a lawyer. You're, you're not. And we've talked about that a little bit in the past. And I think a lot of our listeners you know, talk about how to break break into compliance or, you know, getting more into fraud. So what's your thought on that? Okay. I did briefly think of going to law school, but it was back in the 90s. And it, back then I thought it was expensive. Um, I attended your, because I had the honor of doing a section in sending the elevator back down. And you guys had an awesome book lunch party. And I was just honored to be part of it. And we had breakout groups and there was a woman and I don't remember her name, but she worked for a drug manufacturing company, I believe. And um, someone asked her, do you have to have a law degree to get into compliance? And um, maybe I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Like, why, why can't I get into compliance? I always thought of compliance as law. I, I just thought that you had to have it. And then I go to this, you know, amazing event and I'm like, wow, I could do compliance because this woman who was an attorney, she goes, you know, some of my best investigators do not have a law degree. And it just warmed my heart because I, I, I and it's me, it is my sort of insecurities to say like, why can't I do that? Is it just because I'm not a lawyer? And you guys and great women in compliance 
have shown me that I don't have to have that. You as um, a professional out there, you don't have to have a law degree to go into compliance. You just need to find the right spot, the right boss to be able to show you your worth. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I, you know, it's often a topic that people will talk about. And it's interesting because I guess the follow-up would be what, what degree do you need for in a fraud context or fraud world. Um, but I, I do think, um, I do not think by any means that a law degree is a requirement to be in compliance. I do think, I mean, we talk about diversity in a lot of ways. I do think it's good if you have a compliance team to have a lawyer, you know, somewhat involved to have that perspective, just as I think it's a bad idea to have all lawyers. I think having no lawyer isn't going to help you down the line either. And I do think, for example, for things with the Department of Justice, there may be a bias if you have like a 20-person compliance group and no lawyers that why why not? But I think that it's important to, to think about it in both of those contexts um, as well. So I, I don't, someone who thinks you automatically need it. And granted, I think there are certain roles you may need to be a lawyer for. Um, and I think for being an investigator, 90% of the time, it, it doesn't matter. But if you're going to have to represent, you know, go represent something in court. You, you do generally need to have a lawyer to do that, but the rest of it, you don't, and you do limit both your hiring opportunities and you know your team, making your team the best it can be by making that a precondition. I think that's a that's an old school view, and it's back to the we're compliance and we're the Department of No, and I, I wouldn't want to be in that kind of organization. Yeah, there was a, an attorney one time when I was doing an investigation and she was looking over on my computer and I was scrolling on Twitter and she's like, what's that? Now, you know, I, of course, was like kind of chuckling going, really, you don't know what Twitter is? But the same thing, I could have been scrolling over her shoulder and I could have looked at something and said, what's that? And she would have said, you know, this is whatever, a law diary. And so... You know, it's really hard to be jack of all trades. And um, especially in this world, I think you really have to have that niche um, or niche, whatever you want to call it. And um, I just was asked to do an event and I was talking to the person and it came down to, I'm like, I'm not the person for you. I know the person for you. So I am willing to connect anyone. If I'm not the perfect fit, I will find the perfect fit. And I've always told the lawyers, like, if I don't know it, I'll find someone for you. So um, I don't, it's really hard to be jack of all trades these days. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I I think it's also what you're doing too, is we talked about this recently um, and I'll I'll plug uh, Kate Toby and Ellen Hunt doing the book club, talking about something that you may say, I'm not the right person is also an opportunity for the person who is. So in that way, you mentioned sending the elevator back down. So you do it. And that is, you know, an amazing thing to do because it's not just saying, you know, I can pull this off. It'll be fine. Um, or I want to do this. You're really going with the, um, I know the right person. I'm helping. This could be a real opportunity for them. You have plenty, all of us, you know, plenty to do a lot of the time. And I think that's really, I just wanted to, to raise that as that is the best way to, to do it when you talk about mentoring or building the fields. Um, so I guess with that too, it's a really perfect segue into what do you think our barriers are for our fields? I mean, both as women or, or generally. Um, you know, I primarily speak and teach. I don't do a lot of investigations these days. Just COVID kind of shut some of those down. Um, getting out 
And also making training fun. I consider my job to make training fun because we remember the stories. And um, the crazier the stories, you know, I don't make them up. I pull them from the news. Um, We remember them. And so getting out, being approachable, like I I just had a woman um, recently see me present for her chapter and she goes, I've always wanted to speak. Can you help me? Absolutely, I'm going to help her. She's got a wealth of knowledge. So when we get out, and um, there is a, there is, I love Twitter, just love Twitter. And um, I don't know if I'm going to love it if Elon Musk takes it over, but apparently there's some issue there. Um, That's (laughs) shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But uh, what was the point about Twitter? Oh my gosh. Um, Oh, I have completely lost my train of thought about Twitter. So let's go to the next question and maybe I'll come back. (laughs) Uh, I think we're talking about barriers of entering the field. Um, and oh, I think- okay. It's there is a Twitter thing that I follow. No mannels. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a mannel is a all male panel. A mm-hmm. wannel is an all white male panel. And I love, I love. And the person is, you know, we don't know who the person is who has this Twitter account. But I love highlighting the fact that, like, you know, they'll show something about. I mean, honestly, a female type surgery and they have five male surgeons and it's, and we need to highlight sort of those in, I don't want to say it's inequities. I want us to throw our hat in the ring. That is a huge thing is I want us to throw our hat in the ring. Do not be, I mean, it's, it's scary saying, Hey, can I speak at your conference? And rejection is rough, but we have to throw our hat in the ring. Yeah. And I would even go, I mean, for, for women, but also, you know, women of color, men of color, diversity generally, um, and, you know, if you're if you're looking at things from a risk standpoint, if you've got a bunch of all white guys at the table with the same experiences talking about risk, you're not getting that. Also, even if you, if you have a panel of all, you know, women or all certain age, you really need, I mean, diversity isn't just a, you know, the right thing to do. You're, you're, you're missing things, but I think that, yeah, those panels, I, I have to look that, what, that one up on Twitter. I was, my favorite one, I just mentioned it the other day was um, Mary and I had got, I got her these bags that say, you know, great women in compliance podcasts. And we went to a conference and I had somebody say to me at one point, Oh, you have one of Amy Bernard Bond's bags. And let me tell you, I love Amy. So this is not about her. I'm like, no, 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 that's from my pot. You know, I'm Lisa Fine. I, it's like, oh, no, I've seen these all over the conference. They said, no, no, there are two. He's like, how do are you sure? I'm like, is somebody mansplaining me the purchase that I made for me and my podcast co-host as a gift? And sometimes you have those moments and you think no matter how far, it's good because it's you're thinking no matter how far you get, you have those moments. And it was a lovely person. And when I finally explained I, we, we were on the same page and I said, I was a hundred percent confident because I ordered two and I knew where they went and, you know, I paid for them. I didn't think that it started a trend over 48 hours, but it was just one of those things where you're thinking, you know, this is a blind spot to keep asking this strange question to somebody because you want to be right when, and, and that can transcend into other things. Well, you know, that's so funny because um, my sister, love my sister. She's very, very different from me, very creative. And um, I'll say something. And then a little bit later, she'll go, you were right. And I just like, it's this joke in our family. I'm like, unlike some members of the family, I don't just spit things out of my mouth without 
stopping first and saying it. Whereas my sister is very creative and she'll sometimes say something and then have to backtrack it. And it's not like it's a, a negative thing, but um, this goes to behavioral science. We have system one and system two. And as I have progressed in my career, I much more rely on system two, the slower, more methodical, and I'm going to say ethical thinking. Um, As I was younger, I was all about system one, where it's just spit it out now. So whenever my sister's like, oh, yeah, you were right. I'm like, duh. And I I don't mean that meanly, but like... we operate differently. She yeah. is much more creative and she just spits things out. I am much more measured and I don't want to say calculated because I think that's a negative word, but I don't say things that I don't know to be true. I mean, if I find out later they're untrue, I'm happy to say to my sister, yeah, I was wrong. Yeah. It doesn't happen a lot though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for me too, it also will just depend on who and what I'm talking to and under what circumstances. There is, you know, I have one friend who if I make a comment that is in an area we both know, I want to make sure that I'm right. And so, cause this person will often say, are you sure? So I'm usually sure. And then I say, here, just look it up. And it's kind of become a running joke, but you know, again, yeah. there'll be other times where I'll find myself just trying to think something through and brainstorming. And I think it's, you know, I mean, we all come up with different things and I find the behavioral aspects fascinating. So one last thing I wanted to ask you about, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, qualities of women, you know, qualities in our careers, other things, you know, the hopefully everyone hears the intersection between what we all do and what how to be a, you know, a great woman or to, you know, think like one. Um, but what do you wish that you knew, you know, when like when you first came in, as, you know, as a, a baby investigator, um, just like when I was a baby lawyer, I guess, you know, that you that would have saved you a lot of angst now. Um, you know, I wish I would have known more about human psychology, Mm -hmm. Uh, human psychology, human. um, I grew up, I'm going to say, in a place of privilege. Um, I didn't understand the hard decisions that people had to make. And I don't want to sit in in, uh, judgment of the hard decisions. I use an example of an 87-year-old woman who was a town employee for 50 years. Her husband got cancer. She stole 20 $7,000, she said, to feed herself and her husband and probably to buy um, drugs for for his cancer. I never saw that growing up. I didn't understand that people had to make decisions like that. Granted, you know, there became a point in my life where my dad lost everything and I I saw it differently. I just kind of under, I, I grew up in a very, you know, upper middle class area. And I didn't understand that people had to make those really, really hard decisions. And so I wish I would have known more about, um, I'm going to even go to anthropology and sociology and psychology, just more human condition. I wish I would have known more about that. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, build on that or improve on that anymore, but I think really losing, I mean, I was just talking about this recently and as well as losing, you know, certain blind spots about that. And really how difficult, you're right, how choices can be made and how, you know, how, you know, how much that goes back to how important empathy is, because it's very hard to think about this, you know, person and their spouse trying to get to their next meal. We could spend a whole other podcast talking about how have we gotten to that point in a society where those are the decisions people are making, because I think, I didn't think about it in that way as much when I was young either. But I think it is a really, you know, I think, 
empathy, it's interesting as we've been talking that I really think empathy is a theme of both of, you know, what, what we're all trying to do and really can help both in anti-fraud, what your work, and thank you for speaking with all of us and with compliance. And Kelly, thank you so much. I really so enjoy getting to talk to you and thank you for finally, we finally got to connect in a permanent recording. So. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Cause I mean, honestly, you guys launched me. You truly did. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, I, I don't really think you, you you needed us to launch anything, but I'm thrilled to be a part of your journey. And I appreciate that you're being a part of ours on behalf of Mary and Tom and me and the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks, Kelly. And thanks, everybody. Have a really good day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.